Welcome to Fieldstone Church. If we haven't met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, and uh, just good to see everybody out. I know this is a really easy day to sleep in and do other things. I wanted to, just to be honest. Um, but uh, glad to have you guys out. And we're going we're gonna to get into things. We are not in a series, not starting a new series today, just kind of a one-off. And uh, in, in these kind of things, as we get towards a new year or launch a new ministry year, sometimes towards the end of the summer, it's always good to revisit some of the, the core things about our church and some of the things that drive us. And so today I'm going to take a chance just to revisit some of the things about our mission. And if you're not familiar, the mission of our church is to transform family trees with the gospel. That's the thing that drives us. That's the thing that helps define us. Certainly as a church, our big mission, our, our, our purpose for a church comes from the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 to go and reach all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's why churches exist. But for our local expression, what, what kind of pushes us is that family tree transformation. That's, that's what defines us. That's, that's what kind of sets the tone for everything that we do. And so there's a lot of good things that we choose not to do as a church because it doesn't fit into what we believe God has called us to do in reaching families and seeing them transformed by the gospel. And, and the reality is that it's all about Jesus because Jesus is the only one that can change someone's heart. But when a heart is changed, our lives become changed. And when our lives change, all of a sudden family trees can be transformed out of that. And so today is just a chance to revisit some of that uh, it's an important thing to dive into. I know um, a, a lot of that mission, a lot of that phrasing came as we were getting ready to plant this church a couple years ago and, and just thinking through, what, who has God called us to be? How does he wanna, want to use us? How does he want us to speak and act and do different things around Fieldstone? And a lot of that came from just reflecting on who I am and what God's done in my life and, and really even going back further than that, okay, what has God used to impact me and influence me and shape me as, as a person and as a pastor? And a lot of that came from family. Because in my family, I'm the, I'm the recipient. I, I get to experience the fruit of a family tree that has passed down faith and passed down the values that God values, um, starting with my grandparents. Um, both of them have um, a pretty interesting family trees leading up to them. And then they started their family without much emphasis on church and faith and, and things of God. But somewhere in their 30s, as their boys were growing up, they realized that something was missing and that there was something greater out there that they were supposed to be experiencing as a family. And so the two of them, both of my grandparents, um, started taking the family to church and they all found Christ. And, and so that's been passed down from them to, to my parents and aunts and uncles. And that's gotten passed down uh, to us and now to our kids. And so now you're talking about four to five generations completely different because of a decision that two people made 60 years ago. And so that's what kind of started to, to create the shape of this mission and the, and the transformation of family trees because we realized, man, if you, reach, uh, if you reach a couple people, if you reach someone, yeah, their life is changed, their life is impacted by Christ, but you're not just changing that one life. You're transforming an entire family tree that comes out of that life that's been changed. And um, so that's kind of been an exciting thing. And I know some of you, some of you are like me. Maybe you're two or three generations removed from that transformation and you're experiencing the fruit of that. But some of you are more like my grandparents, not just because you're super old, but because uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're the first generation that's made the decision to, to value that in your family. And so that's, that's a new thing for you, but your kids will experience something different because of your decision, and your grandkids will experience something different because of your decision, and your grandkids will be like me. And so it's all, it's all this whole family tree thing, and so we're excited about what God is doing here through that. And um, it's been an interesting couple weeks. Obviously, you got the holidays and things, but 
um, I got a chance to see my entire family tree kind of laid out in the last couple weeks because my grandma passed away a couple weeks ago, and so we did some funeral stuff this past Saturday. Uh, and it's always fun to get everybody together, the whole Powell family and all the aunts and uncles and cousins and everything, all the different generations interacting, because we're all very like, um, I, if you've been around Fields in a while, you're kind of starting to see some of my quirks and weird things. We're all like me, like we're all that way. Um, all the guys look the same, we act the same, we all tease each other, we're we're, I'd say we're funny. Like you think we're fun? I think we're kind of a funny family. We're funny. We're witty. We're sharp. Um, but then there's some extremes with that too. And, and uh, we're a hunting family. I'm going to talk about hunting a couple times today. But I brought a friend hunting because um, some of us uh, hunt uh, during archery season. Most of us hunt during rifle season. And so we all get together for opening day. Um, and some, you know, sometimes friends will join in and different guys will, will jump in. And I brought a friend for the first time. It was his first time interacting with the whole Powell family, all the guys together. And so on the way up, I warned him. And I said, listen, you know me, we're friends. But you know, like, you know some of my strengths and some of my weaknesses. All of the, you're going to see the best of the Powell family and the worst of the Powell family in these two or three days. I just want to warn you because things get a little bit crazy because, yeah, we're kind of funny and we're witty and we like to tease each other. But when we see blood in the water, man, we just attack and it, get, it gets brutal. And it's funny, it's funny brutal, but if you're on the receiving end, and then it happened. Like the last day we were there, um, one of the guys, another friend of someone else, um, uh, took a deer that was smaller than we thought he should have taken. Um, and so then it was ravenous, man. Like we jumped on this guy and probably for 30 straight minutes, there was just joke after joke after joke, destroying this guy for shooting a small deer. And I'm looking at my friend that I brought and I'm like, I told you, <laughs> we're, we're funny, but we'll get you. And so uh, it's just always fun to see everybody together and, and, and all those things. And, and so it's, it's interesting because each generation as we get together, and I'm sure you see this in your family and your friend circles as well, each generation sees the world differently. And each generation approaches faith a little bit differently. We all have the same love for Jesus and things like that, but we've just different types of churches and different paths that we've taken. Um, each generation is, is trying to navigate traditions and values and priorities that were given to them by the previous generations. But then there's also the traditions and values and priorities that that generation has grabbed a hold of and, and, and emphasized. And then there's things that the generation after them is starting to prioritize and grab a hold of. And so you, all, you have all these different things being intertwined together. And I'm sure it's true in your family. It's true in other parts of life too because you've got things like school. Some of you are students. Some of you are in education. And you see that collision between old school kind of traditional education and then you've got online classes and uh, next-gen classrooms and iPads and all these different things. And you kind of have these two worlds colliding. And both are good in their own ways and both have their cons in, in many ways. But they're coming together and trying to find the marriage between those things. You see it in the workplace. Some of you grew up and you're used to some of the, the you grab coffee, you do things face-to-face, you make cold calls. It's very personal and interactive. But then some people grow up and they're in, in they're embracing this new way of working where there's a lot of texting and a lot of FaceTime video chats and things like that. Um, and, and so it's just different. Two different worlds coming together, different generations and different ways of doing things. And then even in sports, you see kind of the old school people who used to play, people who are coaching now, and then you've got young athletes doing things different. 
I see it. I, I officiate high school basketball games, and you can see the collision where um, us as, as officials who are older and did sports in, in past generations, and then you got young players, and, and we remember, raise your hand if you remember basketball players wearing the short, shorty shorts, and it's just super awkward and weird looking, and it's like kind of 80s, early 90s. Well, the players now, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if you've been to a high school basketball game recently, but they have normal shorts, but then they roll them like four times so that they're super short. And I want you to know it looks really stupid, okay? And I know we've got a couple high school basketball players in our church. I think uh, a couple that I'm thinking of are back serving right now. But I would tell them their face, it looks dumb, okay? Because I remember how stupid it looked back in the 80s and 90s to have the shorty shorts, and yet they have these perfectly good knee-length shorts, and then they ruin them by rolling them all up, and they're super short, super tight. So if you see a basketball player, just tell them how ridiculous they look. Because when you're ref in the game, you're not allowed to have opinions. You just kind of snicker under your breath. So anyways... <laughs> What I'm trying to say is you have this collision between generations and this tension between old ways of doing things and new ways of doing things, and each generation thinks the other generations are off, right? So you've got previous generations. We, we think all of the older generations are out of touch, and they're stuck in their ways, and they're grumpy, and we think all, everybody younger than us, we think that they're clueless and lazy and entitled, and they have no respect. Now, we've thrown those types of things on millennials, but it's always been that way. Believe it or not, I've, I'm kind of a history buff, and so um, there's some video series out there called um, uh, World War II in Color and Vietnam in Color where they've kind of remastered some of the video that they've taken of those things. Um, and I watched the World War II one and then the Vietnam one, and in both series, as they're doing some of the intro stuff leading up to the conflicts, they talked about how the older generations thought that the young people were entitled and lazy and pretty boys, and they weren't ready for a war. They said that in the World War II one about the generation that was going to be fighting that. And then they said the same thing in the Vietnam one. I'm like, oh my gosh, millennials are hearing that from their parents and elders. And their par- those people heard it from their parents and elders. And those people, everybody thinks the next generation is lazy and entitled. And so it's just kind of this continuous cycle. Everybody thinks, and we all think that the older generations are messed up and ridiculous and, and have no clue. But you see the generations interact and grump at each other, and it's funny in some ways, but there's a tension as well. And as we think about family trees and as we create, each of us is involved in creating and building and growing and branching off of family trees. My question this morning is, where does the weight of responsibility lie when it comes to the growth and development and health of a family tree? Who's responsible for that? Is it the older generation to pass things on? Is it the younger generation to figure it out and and make it stronger? Um, Well, fortunately, when it comes to that question, this generational tension is not a new thing. Uh, We can look back through our generations recently. We look back through the centuries. We can look to Scripture, and there's a a pivotal turning point in the Old Testament um, that involves some of this generational tension. So we're going to, yet again, like many other topics that we look at, um, kind of glean from the experiences, in many ways, the failures of God's people as it comes to this topic. So uh, we're going to be at the end of the book of Joshua, but just to give you a flyby up to that point, 
because um, I know some of you were born in church like I was, and you kind of had this stuff stuffed down your throat, but some of you, this is kind of newer. And so just to kind of give you an idea of where we're at in the context of biblical timeline. By the way, I feel like I'm talking fast. I'm energetic. I had some hot chocolate this morning on an empty stomach. In our volunteer huddle, I said many things I shouldn't have said just because of the energy and the sugar. Um, so if I say anything unbiblical, just get up and walk out and, and we'll blame it on the sugar. But I think we're good so far. Um, okay, so a flyby of, of the book of Genesis through Joshua Judges, where we're going to end up. So you've got creation at the beginning. Adam and Eve, they do their thing. They get kicked out of Eden. That's kind of a big moment in history. Um, but after them, the, the population starts to increase. There's more people coming on earth. But because of sin, humanity continues to drift further and further away from God until God gets so sick of it that he destroys the whole earth with a flood and leaves Noah and his family protected in the ark. Out of the ark, the family grows again, and you have someone named Abraham, who's the father of the Israelite nation, Father Abraham. He has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob is the father of Joseph and his brothers. And if you're a Broadway fan, that's the same Joseph from the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So that's the Joseph there. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. Uh, through that whole situation, actually rises to prominence in Egypt, um, and then his entire family ends up moving to Egypt with him, and they expand from there. But they get so huge, Egypt gets afraid. Pharaoh turns them into slaves. They're in slavery for 400 years. Then Moses comes. Moses from Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments. Um, the whole history of the, the, the Bible is told through Hollywood, so you can just follow, watch a bunch of movies. So Moses does the Exodus, leads them across the Red Sea. They wander in the desert. But then Moses... Before he dies, turns leadership over to Joshua, who had been his right-hand man. And Joshua leads all kinds of military battles, becomes a great leader in his own right. And now Joshua is about to retire and step aside on his own. And that's where we find ourselves at the end of the book of Joshua. So that's kind of where we're at. Some good context there. Now, if you are curious, if you're kind of newer to the Bible, you're newer to faith, there's a series. We have a thing called Right Now Media that we have a, a church-wide subscription to. Um, and there's a series on there. If you're not subscribed to Right Now Media, let us know. All we need is your email, and we can send you an invite. But in there, if you search, if you go to Right Now Media and search Read Scripture Series, Read Scripture Series, the first thing that comes up is kind of this really cool series of videos, usually about five to seven minutes long, that gives a, a synopsis of every book of the Bible. It's actually really sweet. Um, so if you're looking for some of that context, that's a good place to start. Um, but we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24 to start today. Uh, we'll put the verses on the screen for most of these. Um, so we pick it up where Joshua's getting ready to retire, and he gives his last big speech before he steps aside. So in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, Joshua says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. If you've probably seen that verse on a coffee cup or a picture frame or something. It's kind of one of those classic rally behind it kind of verses from the Bible. Um, so Joshua says, listen, uh, you've got some decisions to make. He says, we're coming to the end of a very long era. We, we've traveled thousands of miles. 
We've been through war and battles. We've struggled. We've experienced victories and defeats. Probably a lot of mood swings within the Israelite people because, yeah, there's things to celebrate. They've conquered the land. They're moving into these cities. They're getting, uh, their promises are being fulfilled by God. But at the same time, many of them lost loved ones throughout this whole process. And so it's kind of an up and down type of a thing. And Joshua says, you've got a big decision to make because you're starting from scratch as a nation. Up to this point, we've been a nomadic people. We've been wandering in the desert. We've been fighting battles. We've been surviving. We've been learning how to live with each other. We've been learning how to interact with this God that uh, felt like he was missing for hundreds of years, and now he's back in our lives, and we're trying to figure this out. So he says, we have to answer these questions. Who are we? What are our values? What are we going to prioritize as a people, as a nation? What God will we serve in a world of selections? What God are we going to serve? How are we going to respond going forward? And Joshua says, based on what God has done, based on what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've lived through, what you've sacrificed, the question becomes, what now? What do we do now? Because circumstances are what they are. We can't change them. Some of, some of the people have lost loved ones. Some of them have sacrificed much. Some of them have kind of come through scot-free based on, you know, just kind of luck of the draw and things like that. But based on the circumstances, here on the precipice of peace and promises fulfilled, what will your life be going forward? Who are we going to be? Who are you going to be? And as we kind of consider this within the context of family trees, um, family trees past, family trees present, the circumstances that you're dealing with, the, the, the family that you were born into, the family that you're growing up with, the family that you look back on in, in, in your childhood days, all of those things, they could be good, they could be bad, some of it might be your fault, some of it might be uh, inflicted on you by those who have come before. Whatever the circumstances are, you're in the midst of a family tree. You're in the midst of those generations, and you have the same choice. Who will you be? What will you value? What will you prioritize? In a world of options, what God will you serve? What now? And the Israelites, they declare their choice right away. They respond to Joshua, continuing in chapter 24 there in verse 16. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt and from the land of slavery, and he performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And so they say, we're going to remember See, we've seen it with our eyes. Our, and in those of us who were, sorry, those of us who were born later, our parents have told us about all the things that God did, crossing the Red Sea, coming through the wilderness, providing food in the desert, providing water in the desert, fighting some of these battles. We're going to remember what God did. He's going to be our God. He was with us. He was protecting us. He was writing our story. He was always making sure that we were aware of him, whether it was a, a, a cloud during the day or the pillow of fire at night. They had a choice, and you have a choice. But we fast forward, and we quickly come upon a problem. Remember, we're, we're trying to figure out who's responsible for the family tree being healthy going forward. Who's responsible for making sure that this thing experiences a positive transformation because of the gospel of Jesus? So we go to uh, the book of Judges, which is right after Joshua. And it continues the story in chapter 2. We'll start in verse 6. 
Uh, there we go. Uh, chapter 2, verse 6. So after Joshua had dismissed Israel, so he's, he's given this speech. He's given them their last challenge. Like, my family's going to serve the Lord. I don't know what you're going to do. And they're like, yeah, we're with you. We're going to follow the Lord too. So after Joshua dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. So they start filling up these cities that they had conquered and taking over these villages that they had conquered. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. That's not a bad run. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance. Um, Verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that's a long way of saying they died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. And they were in great distress. But then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. And so here we have a new generation that grows up after Joshua's gone, after the other elders of the people are gone. And this new generation, they didn't live in Egypt. They didn't cross the Red Sea. They weren't there when Moses brought the Ten Commandments off the mountain. They didn't wander in the wilderness. They didn't help fight the battles. They came after that. And somehow God and everything that he had done was forgotten in one and a half generations. And that just blows my mind because here we are thousands of years later talking about and celebrating some of these stories and yet within a hundred years they were all forgotten among the Israelite people. It blows my mind. And it's easy to lay it at the feet of that generation, right? Our first response is, how could they? How could they forget about that? How could they not know? How could they not follow this God who had protected the people and brought them out of Egypt and done all these amazing things? How could they stray from him so quickly? And yet, every generation thinks the next one is lost, right? We always think the ones coming after us are the messed up ones, but there's some key words there. It doesn't say that they forgot. It says they didn't know. Sure, they didn't pursue it. They didn't see it. They didn't follow it. But they didn't know, which means it wasn't taught to them. And so as we think about what's going on here, what I see is a 360-degree failure on the part of that nation to ensure that truth and faith and history and their God was being passed down to everyone within that community. Equal blame for the failure. Equal responsibility for the future. See, we freak out when, uh, I know we're a, a sports family, and I freak out anybody calls LeBron, anytime anybody calls LeBron James the greatest of all time in basketball, because I remember Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. We will not have that conversation without me getting violent, okay? <laughs> He's the greatest. And so I get frustrated when people elevate, how could you not know about Michael Jordan? There's video 
I'm around to tell you about it. My wife will certainly tell you about it. And she's always walking around in expensive Jordans. I don't know where she got the money for. But we're a Michael Jordan family. He's like, how could you not know? I feel the same way when people talk about some of the greatest bands of all time and they start talking about some of the newer bands and things like that. I'm like, how do you not know about Green Day? How do you not know about Pearl Jam? How is that even possible? What's wrong with you? This generation is lost, right? And we get all excited. And then you get to actual serious stuff and you think about the fact that there are zero high schoolers, maybe a couple, but there are zero high school students who were born before 9-11. And so you start thinking about policies that are being made and the way people react to things in the world and opinions that are shared and different things. And we're like, how could you not know, right? But it's kind of a 360-degree thing. And, and that's the urgency that we, that we should feel. Not the urgency about the Michael Jordan thing. That doesn't really matter. But when you think about 9-11, you think, man, we don't want people to forget. We want them to experience the impact. But they weren't there, right? They can't, it's not something that they've forgotten. They just don't know. But it's not just their fault. We're talking about a generation and judges that had zero knowledge of God or his deliverance, and that cannot happen. But it's not just on that generation that came after Joshua. The responsibility for a family tree, it rests on the entire family. It's shared equally among all the generations. It, for those who are on the older end, it's about passing down what we know and what we believe and what we've seen and what we've experienced and passing down what God has done in our lives. For the next generation, it's about looking up and listening and heeding the instructions and trusting what they're saying and learning from mistakes and latching onto successes that have been experienced before them. And for those who are within kind of the middle generations, it's about leaning on siblings and friends and those of the same age and encouraging each other and holding each other accountable and dragging each other along to make sure that we're holding on to the things that are being passed down. And in spite of whatever circumstances that we've been dropped into, some we have no control over, some circumstances that we've created for ourselves, in the midst of wherever we're at now within our family tree, we have a choice. How will I respond from here? How will we respond from here? What will we do with our branch of the family tree? What kind of tree will we build from where we're at right now? And no matter where we're at in our generational family tree, we have a responsibility to ensure that truth and faith are kept alive for the current generation and those coming after us. So grandparents, it's on you. Parents, it's on you. Kids, it's on you. It's on all of us. And so some questions to ask based on, you know, kind of what I'm seeing in this passage between end of Joshua and into Judges. First question is for the parents and the grandparents, any mentors, any influencers, because it's not just parents. It's about any, any, anyone from a generation that has some influence over those coming after them. Here's this question. So you've, you've made personal commitments, right? You've made some important decisions. Are you taking steps to ensure that your commitments are becoming a tangible part of your family tree? Let me show you what I mean. Back in, uh, in Judges chapter 1, um, I think uh, Michelle's back there on the computer. I, don't th- I think I have verses starting in chapter 2, so don't feel bad if uh, verses aren't there. Um, don't want people quitting the team because of my, my stuff. Uh, So Judges chapter 1, verse 27. 
Let us know what kind of happens. Because remember, they were told to drive everybody out and then you can take control of the land. But here's some interesting things. But Manasseh, that's one of the families, they did not drive out the people of Bethshan or Tanakh or Dor or Ibliam or Megiddo and their surrounding settlements for the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but they never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim, that's another family, nor did they drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. But the Canaanites continue to live there among them. And there's other phrases that keeps going. They, they allowed them to stay. They allowed them to stay. They allowed them to stay. They pushed them out. They turned them into servants, but they allowed them to stay. Chapter 2, verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Boykim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. And when the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. Why? Well, it's because they made the commitment, right? They stood there in front of Joshua and said, yes, we're going to serve the Lord too, us and our households. We're going to make this a family tree thing. And we're going to make sure that our entire household, our entire family tree follows this same God. Well, cool. But did you completely conquer the land? Did you do what you needed to do to ensure that your kids don't have to fight the same fights and deal with the same temptations of false gods all around them? Nope. So when it came to actually living out that commitment, they, they made the right commitment. They made the right decision. They said the right stuff. But they didn't do what was needed for that decision to become a true, tangible reality for their family tree. And that failure became a weight and a curse on the next generations. I, I mentioned that we're a, a hunting family. Um, we, we certainly are, and we're, we're excited. Our kids are kind of starting to get into it, and, and you know, whether it's hunting or some other hobby, it's great to want your kids to be a part of that and kind of continue that tradition. But when it comes to hunting, you can decide that you want your kids to be hunters. You can decide that that's going to be a family tradition. But are you taking them out as kids, even if it potentially ruins a couple hunts for you? Are you you got to watch the outdoor channel and kind of celebrate hunting stuff throughout the year. You got to get them some toys that they can hunt the dog in the living room when they're little kids and kind of start getting into a little bit. You're going to buy them their first rifle. You're going to buy them their first crossbow. You're going to schedule your hunting trip so they can be a part of it and take them out of school and celebrate those things. Because you can't grump about kids not growing up as hunters if you're not going to make a tangible effort to foster that, right? It's the same with our faith. Our decisions, our commitments, our values as individuals and as families, those are important. That's a starting point. But you have to make the tangible effort and take the tangible steps to make it a reality for the next generation. Are you identifying those steps? Are you taking those steps so that it's more than just a spoken commitment and becomes an actual reality for your family tree? So that's parents, that's grandparents, that's mentors. How about the next generation? Kids, teenagers, 20-somethings, even millennials. You can see what your parents and your mentors are trying to pass down, what they're emphasizing. You can see what they value. You can see what they prioritize. Are you simply following along and obeying because you have to? Or are you owning it for yourself? 
Have you taken ownership of it? Judges chapter 2, we kind of see some issues with the next generation as well as we continue on. Uh, We'll go verse 18 and 19. So whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, so God would send these leaders to save them from the raiders and protect their nation for a while. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods, serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So for that generation, throughout the book of Judges, it's the same pattern. They would drift and God would send a judge and lead them back. And they would drift, and the judge would lead them back. And drift, and they just kept going and going and going. And so while the judge was there, they would follow the judge, right? And they would obey the leader. They would benefit from that judge's leadership and obedience. But there was no ownership of what that judge was teaching and leading and modeling. There was no effort to adopt it into their own lives and their own families and for their own generation. So when there was no leader, when there was no authority forcing it on them, there was zero follow-through. And so we go back to the hunting thing, right? My brother and I grew up in the same family. We grew up hunting. My dad would take us out of school. Uh, We were raised with it. It was modeled to us. We were taken on trips. We had toy bows when we were kids, and we'd shoot them at the dog. And my dad would take us out and sit us in the tree with him. And I know that we ruined hunts because I take my kids hunting, and they ruin hunts. And so that's just how it works. But we started out hunting as kids, and, and my dad bought us our first bows and our first guns, and everything was set for us, and he made it really easy. So then time came, and I grew up, and I moved out, and I went to college, and I wanted to continue it, so I kept at it, right? I bought my own target. Uh, I'd initiate my own time to go practice and scout the woods and things like that, and my brother eventually moved out and for almost 10 years didn't shoot a single deer. He had grown up. He did fine. He's a good shot. He's very successful. For 10 years, no deer. Why? Because when he moved out, he didn't take the initiative on his own to do all the things that my dad used to do for us. There was no dad to get things out, no dad to make him practice, no dad to get the licenses and secure vacation time and find a good hunting spot. You get what I'm saying? It's the same with our faith. You can look at your family tree and you can talk about about all the great things your parents are passing down or some of the horrible things your parents might be passing down. But ultimately, it's on you to take responsibility and own this for yourself. So a couple questions for you. Have you opened your Bible since your dad stopped reading comic book Jesus to you? (laughs) Have you explored truth for yourself since you ran out of VeggieTales videos? Have you stepped out from the shadow of your parents' faith and experienced the power of your own walk with Christ? And maybe, if you do have something to grump about, Have you recognized your parents' weaknesses and chosen to take your faith beyond theirs, whether whether they're supportive of it or not? It's on everybody. It's on every generation. And Brian and Mary are going to come, and we're going to do one more song. And, you know, we we talk a lot about family trees around here. It's going to continue to be that way, so get used to it. You'll probably hear some sermons in the future, and you're like, I feel like you preached that one already. Probably have. Because we're going to keep coming back to the family tree thing because we want to see family trees change. We want them to experience the transformation that only comes from what Jesus can bring and pursuing Christ and the life that he offers. We believe God's ability to break family trees free from patterns and traditions. We believe in that. Uh, someone on our launch team, they've since uh, moved on for work, different, uh, different things. And um, uh, she had a great quote. She said, you know what? The apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree. 
but God can pick it up and move it. And that's what we pray for. That's what we cling to as a church. And it's life change. It's family tree transformation. But only God can do it. And we trust him to make it happen. But he's given each of us, whatever our age, whatever our role within a family tree, he's given us a place in the process to pass it down, to clear the road to the best of our ability, and to absorb the example of those who've come before us and claim it as our own. And if we'll grab hold of that process, I'm confident that we'll continue to hear amazing stories in the next year just like we've heard in the last year. It's something to celebrate. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for a great morning together. And as we close, I pray that you would continue to work on our hearts um, because God, each of us is a part of a family tree. You've uniquely placed us in in a specific time, in a specific moment to be a part of that. So God, whatever situations that we've inherited, whatever priorities we've grown up with, whatever values have been modeled for us, God, I pray that we would take our individual choice seriously and own it for ourselves and then continue to pass down your word, your truth, your faithfulness, your love, your forgiveness. God, help us to be a a shining light to those who have come before us, to those who come after us. God, may family trees be transformed here, not because of anything that we do, but because of what you do. In Jesus' name.